going to jump into a brand new series uh, today called Epic Faith. So if you'll go to Hebrews chapter 11, uh, we're going to take a uh, journey through Hebrews 11 over the next several weeks. Now faith is, faith is kind of like grace. It's one of those words that we hear, that we speak, that we uh, somewhat understand and maybe somewhat don't understand. And so faith um, gets misused, faith gets abused, and so hopefully during the course of this series we'll begin to map out exactly what is faith and that we'll understand it and begin utilizing it in our relationship and our walk with our Heavenly Father. Now, epic faith speaks of what Jesus said at times. He would say of someone, you know what, I, I've he said to his disciples at one time, oh, you have little faith. Why, why are you guys doubting? Why, why are you so little faith? But other times, he would say to someone, you are a, a person of great faith. That is epic faith. We want to be people of great faith. But if we're going to be people of great faith, we have to understand what faith is and what it does and what it looks like. So today, we're going to talk about epic faith in this introductory message to the series and we're going to be looking at three questions concerning epic faith. What is faith? Why is it important? And how do we grow it? How does our faith grow and how does our faith mature? And we're going to understand that it is uh, essential that we do so if we're going to understand the importance and live out this faith that God has given to us. Now, before I read the scripture we're going to look at this morning, I want to set the context. The author of the book of Hebrews is writing to a group of Jewish Christians who are going through some kind of severe trial, so severe that they are tempted to now kind of disengage their walk with Christ, to kind of deconstruct their faith and, and move on with life and say, you know what, I tried the Jesus thing, it's not working for me, therefore I'm, I'm going to go travel a new avenue. And so the message of the book of Hebrews to those who were the original uh, readers of this letter is don't quit. Keep on growing. Keep on moving with Christ. Do not give up your faith because in the end, uh, the result of that walk of faith is going to be something absolutely incredible and epic in your life and you are going to endure and God's going to grow you and God's going to deepen this walk and fellowship with you to the degree that you are like insulated, like no matter what the circumstances are around you, as Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, it's like the peace of Christ that surpasses all human understanding will guard your heart and your mind. Do not give up, do not cash in, do not bail out because I want to do an incredible work in your life. So in the set the context, go back in chapter 10 and verse 38, and it says this, as uh, the Hebrew writer is quoting out of the, out of, uh, the prophet Habakkuk, uh, out of the Old Testament, who was also in a time in which he was seeing things happening around him and was about to disengage with his faith and was questioning his faith and questioning God. It says, but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Now, this connects right into chapter 11, verse 1. Remember, in the original writings, there's no uh, chapter or verse divisions. He's carrying on his thought here. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And so what the writer is saying here is, listen, if you're going to avoid caving into the trial that is in front of you and letting your faith kind of disintegrate, uh, how about if you just hang in there because the faith that God gives you can stand strong, and it is the, this faith, it's the connector between the God who has formed and fashioned everything that is visible and invisible, and he is the direct link and tie that we have as followers of Jesus Christ to be resourced by our Heavenly Father for everything we need in life and in 
uh, in our liberty and our walk with the Lord. Therefore, he's saying, listen, don't cash in. Don't bail out. Let me tell you, I'm going to give you a definition of faith, and I'm going to show you a group of people who exercise their faith all the way to the end, and they are so glad they did. And that's what this whole chapter is about. It's called the Hall of Faith. It's about those who walked in faith, refused to give up when everything was pushing against them. They continued in that faith walk. Now, all of us come at points in our lives in which we are like, you know what? I'm just not sure this faith walk is worth it. You know, maybe things are happening uh, in circumstantially around you, maybe it's something physical, maybe it's something spiritual going on inside of you, and you're just going through a deep, dark trial, and you're really struggling in your faith walk with the Lord. You've prayed and asked God for some things that he did not answer, and you've prayed and asked God for things that didn't seem like he showed up, and you, Satan comes and he begins questioning, you know, is this faith walk really worth it? Is it are, are you going to endure to the end? And so the question that confronts us Whether living the Christian life is simply this. Is it worth the headache? And the battle of the Christian life is not just about believing. It's a question of can I continue to believe? You entered into a relationship with your Heavenly Father by believing in Christ. That was the initial step of faith. Now the question is no matter what life throws at you, can you continue to walk in that faith throughout the course of your life no matter what happens? Because there's going to be a lot of stuff that happens in the lives of these people that the writer is going to bring up for us. And if you read the last section of this chapter, there are those who are being flogged and those who are being thrown in lion's dens and those who are losing their lives. They were martyrs for the faith in Jesus, for their faith in Jesus Christ. So the question is, can we continue on in our faith even when Satan is throwing everything he can at us? Now here's why all this is so, so important. As your very first fill-in on your outline is this. Walking by faith is the only means of experiencing what God has to offer. It's the only way we experience what God has to offer us. Everything we receive in the Christian life comes by grace through faith. Grace makes it available. Faith is what enables us to accept it and to receive it. Grace is God's part. Faith is our part. Everything God has done for the Christian is absolute, watch this, it's absolute, but it must be appropriated. For example, I'll give you two examples. One is the um, sacrificial death of Jesus, which is the essence of the gospel of Christ, right? We, We study throughout the book of Romans. The fact that Christ died for the sins of humanity is absolute. He died for every human being but it must be appropriated. In other words, it doesn't mean everybody is saved. You must appropriate what Christ has done on your behalf. How do I appropriate the sacrificial death of Christ to have my sin account expunged, to be paid in full? It's not just knowing that Jesus died for me. I have to take that step of faith and accept and receive what Christ has done on my behalf and appropriate it into my life by faith. And then God says at that moment, he forgives my sin. He's canceled the the debt that I owed, and he's marked it paid in full. And therefore, now I am a new creation in Christ. So the same thing is true with with Satan, who is your enemy, right? Now, Satan has been soundly defeated. The Bible says this over and over again. For example, Hebrews 2.14 says that his defeat is absolute and complete through the death of Christ, that the devil and his minions have been stripped of their power and have been disarmed by the cross of Jesus Christ. Colossians chapters 2, verses 13 through 15 tell us that. But if you are going to appropriate what Christ has done on your behalf in your spiritual warfare tactics with the evil one, listen, he's defeated and you can appropriate what Christ has accomplished on your behalf and he doesn't have to defeat you. And so James came along in chapter 4 and verse 7 says, resist the devil and he will what? He will flee from you. But I have to appropriate by faith what Christ has secured on my behalf and you have to do the same. 
So what God wants us to know is that everything we receive is by faith. You cannot be saved apart from faith. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever will believe in him, that word believe means to trust, to commit to, to put the full weight of your, um, into what Christ has done on your behalf. That's how we are saved. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved, what? Through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, lest any man boast. In other words, I can't boast in the fact that I'm saved because of I did a good work or I, I, I paid my dues in full. No, it's all by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So we can't be saved apart from faith. You can't grow spiritually apart from faith. There are four times in the scriptures it says the just shall live by faith. I will never grow in my spiritual life or walk with God apart from faith because it is that faith walk that deepens my relationship with my heavenly father you can't see miracles apart from faith i gave you two scriptures there one is two blind men who came to jesus and jesus says as he oftentimes did to people what do you want me to do well is it not apparent we're blind you know we want we want healing and jesus said according to your faith it shall be done or Jesus went to his hometown of Nazareth, and if there's anywhere that Jesus knew the needs and the wants of his people, it was there where he grew up. And so people, you know, needed to be touched, they needed to be healed, they needed to be ministered to, and Jesus was doing those things on a limited basis, and it says that Jesus wanted to do far more than he did, but he was hindered by their unbelief. Now, faith I'm going to dispel some things about faith. Faith is not a magic wand that we can wave over our circumstances and obligate God to do what we want him to do. That's a misuse and an abuse of faith. Um, so the scripture says, you know, a lot of television preachers, a lot of things that are on, uh, you know, Facebook and other social media claim that, you know, if you have faith and Therefore, if it's strong enough and big enough and bold enough that God will be obligated to give you whatever it is that you're claiming it, you're naming it and claiming it. If you don't get the miracle, it's because your faith was too weak. Listen, faith does link us to the supernatural resources of God, but he provides them according to his plan, his will, and his purposes, not ours. So God is always trying to draw us back to his good, perfect, and pleasing will, as Paul states in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. You cannot please God apart from faith. It says right there in Hebrews eleven six. without faith it is impossible. Listen, unbelief is the supreme evil and the source of all other evils. It was unbelief in the Garden of Eden that Eve succumbed to the tempting voice of, of Satan. And as a result of that, there was the fall of humanity. It was unbelief that shut the door to the nation of Israel from entering into the promised land. God said, I'm giving you the promised land. I'm giving you the land. They sent spies in, came back and said, look, we can't take the land. There's giants in that land. And God says, because of your unbelief, this unbelieving generation will have to die out before we can enter into the promised land, which happened under the command of Joshua. And so God said, listen, everywhere you step, I'm giving you the land, but you've got to fight for it. What is he saying? Listen, I'm providing everything you need, but you've got to appropriate what I'm providing. Did, they, did God give them the land or did they fight for it? Both. He, he says the land is yours, but you've got to go in and you've got to fight for it. It's the same thing when you are confronted with your enemy of your soul Satan is that, listen, you have to appropriate what Christ has secured on your behalf. That's why Paul says to put on the armor of God. I appropriate what God has said about me in my identity in Christ. And when I appropriate that, I am able to defeat the one who seeks to defeat me and to defeat you. And so here's the point. Your faith, because faith is so important, he says, you can't be saved without faith. You can't grow spiritually without faith. You can't see miracles without faith. You can't please God without faith. Therefore, Satan makes your faith the point of his attack. 
He's after your faith. Now, you can say a lot of things about life. Well, you know, I'm struggling here and I'm struggling there. And, and uh, the fact is, Satan is always attacking your faith. Why? Because it is faith that moves mountains. It's our faith that stirs heaven. It is our faith that rebukes hell. It is our faith that gives us the courage and the confidence to make bold steps with the Lord. It is, it is our faith that enables us to see the miraculous happen in our lives because God is still in the in the business of doing miracles. Amen? All right? So we, some of you have experienced miracles. I, I experienced a miracle last week, or last week, last year, as, as you prayed for me and as I endured my, my journey with cancer. And God is faithful and he honors faith because faith honors him. So that brings us to the three questions. What is faith? Why is it important? And how do we grow it? And then we're going to flesh all of this out. Remember, this is an introductory message. We'll flesh all of this out as we journey through the individuals that are described here in Hebrews chapter 11. Notice he started off by saying, now faith is. That is present tense. It not, it's not faith was. Faith is. Faith is now. Faith is happening. Faith is active. Faith is moving. Faith is never stagnant. It is always moving forward unless it's what Christ has done for us and he is the one working it out. But even then, our faith is active. That's why you always read in Scripture, it is faith and. Faith and obedience. Faith and love. Faith and work. Faith and hope. So let me give you three descriptions of what faith is based on Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is confidence. It is confidence. He says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for. Or some of your translations might say faith is the substance. Right? So that word substance or sure is the exact same word that the Hebrew writer uses in chapter 1 in, in chapter 1 and verse 3 when it describes Christ. It says that Jesus is the exact representation of God. In other words, Jesus is God in the flesh. Now, why this is important to us is this. What did we learn in the book of Romans? When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, and God marked your sin debt paid in full, the Bible says that many things happened to you instantaneously, and one is that the Spirit of God baptized you into the body of Christ, that you are in Jesus, and Jesus is now in you, which is the Apostle Paul's favorite term, you're in Christ and he is in you. In other words, God has enveloped us like putting on a robe or a jacket. He has enveloped us in Christ, the exact representation. We are not God, but we clothed in Christ in the righteousness of Christ. And so one of the, what's one of the spiritual armors? The breastplate of righteousness. What makes me right in the eyes of God? What makes me righteous in the eyes of God? It had nothing to do with what I had to offer or what I do other than putting my faith in Christ. I'm righteous in Christ because I've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And therefore, Paul says, now that we're in Christ and enveloped in him, sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption, that therefore we are now justified in God's eyes. That is just as if we have never sinned. So when God looks at me, he sees Christ. He doesn't see my sin because my sin has been forgiven at the cross, past, present, and future. I'm walking as a new creation, not someday I'll be a new creation, the verb text in the heirs tense is a past completed action never to be repeated. I'm righteous in Christ at the moment of salvation. I walk in the righteousness of Christ. I'll one day spend eternity as the righteousness of Christ. Why? Because I offered something? No, because I accepted and I appropriated what Christ did on my behalf and you do the same. All right, so what, Paul, what the writer here in Hebrew is saying is, listen, this is the grounds for our confidence. What my faith gives me confidence about the things that I'm what? I'm hoping for. Now, what did he say? Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for. What is my hope based upon? God's promises. What God says in his word is true. I didn't, listen, when I got saved and you got saved, we didn't, feel all those things happening to us. We didn't see all those things happening to us. 
The only reason I know I'm righteous in Christ, the only reason I know I'm justified before God, the only reason I know that when I draw my last breath, absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord, is because that's what God promised in his word, and God's promises are backed by his character. God cannot and will not lie. And so this is, my, this is where my hope is rooted. This is why I am confident. For example, when God called me into ministry, um, you know, I was, I was working as a professional, uh, or a, a, um, a pipe fitter, foreman, and, uh, you know, my wife and I were living in Virginia. God says, you know, I want you to quit your job. I want you to go to, you know, school, and I'd never planned on going to college. I'd gotten an apprenticeship in, in plumbing, and steam and hot water heating and, and doing pipe fitting, and I'm working uh, on commercial pipe fitting, and God says, I want you to go to college. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, like, where am I going to go? A, not B, where am I going to get the money for this? And so, you know, I'm praying about this, and, and God's saying, well, listen, um, I, I want you to anchor all in on what I said is true. And so, as I'm reading through scripture, I come across Matthew 6.33, and Jesus has been talking about, you know, don't worry about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, where you, you know, where you're going to live. He says, I, I know you have need of all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. And so I said, okay. So I, I had the conversation with my dad, who was the superintendent of the job. I said, dad, I'm quitting my job. I'm going to college. I feel God's called me into ministry. My dad was not a believer. It did not go well at all. And he just couldn't understand why I would do that. And he says, well, where are you going to go to school? I said, I don't know. How are you going to pay for all this? I don't know. I just know God called me to take the first step of faith. And so that's exactly what I did. I said, here's my notice. I'm, I'm quitting. And so long story short is the pastor who was um, our pastor at the time, he knew an administrator of a college, and he took me and introduced me to the administrator. And, uh, and so I'm still wondering, how am I going to pay for all this? And and, how, you know, how much is this going to cost? And when I found out how much is going to cost and how I'm going to pay, um, you know, I'm praying and praying that God would, you know, give me the finances. How am I going to have the finances? And finally, the Spirit of God said to me, hey, how about stop praying for the finances and start thanking God you've got the finances? But I didn't have the finances. But you start thanking him you've got the finances before the finances come through. So I changed my prayer. I started thanking God. God, I thank you that you are going to supply every single thing I need in order for me to walk in your will, plan, and purpose for my life. And as God could only do it, God provided us the place to go to school. He provided us with all the financing for the school. And he did that not only in college, but in seminary and in my doctoral studies. By the time we got done with all of that schooling, I had not one cent of debt over my head. Because God is the one who spoke it. He's the one who was faithful to his word. Do you think that would boost my confidence a little bit? Absolutely. Listen, faith is simply agreeing with what God has already said. And that settles it. That's what faith is all about. It is anchoring in on the promises of God. And consequently, walking by faith means accepting the fact that you have received those promises from God, even though you have not yet seen them with your natural eyes. See, we want to do just the opposite. I'm going to use a phrase uh, all through the rest of this message. And so we tend to think that seeing is believing when the Bible says faith is all about believing and then you'll see. See, we, we want God, I could have sat down and said, Lord, before I make my first step, before I quit my job, you got to lay the whole plan out for me. You got to show me where I'm going to school. You got to provide the finances. And when you've got all that in place, then I'll have the conversation with my father. Then I'll quit my job. And God's like, eh, no, 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 no. Um, you believe. And you do what I told you, and then you'll see my hand move. And so that is the, the confidence that we have in faith, is that when God gives you a promise, and he speaks through that promise, you can bank on it. Number two is faith is conviction. Faith is conviction. He goes on to say, sure of what we hope for, and certain of what we, what? Do not see. Now, 
when I talk about conviction, I'm not talking about preference, all right? I prefer that. I would prefer that God laid everything out and supplied everything before I took that step of faith. Yeah, we all would prefer that, but that's rarely how God operates. In fact, you're going to see through every person in Hebrews chapter 11, that is not the way God operates. And so a conviction is something that you hold to. It's something that is internal. It is something that you will you will die for your convictions. So I have certain convictions. You have certain convictions. Uh, just to share a few of them when it comes to the context of faith. For example, I have the conviction that the Word of God, rightly divided under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, has the power to transform people's lives. That's why I don't preach my opinions because my opinions have no power to transform anybody's life, but I do know that the Spirit of God taking the Word of God has the power to transform your life. That's why the Bible says, listen, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, that if we're going to see a transformed life, it's the result of a renewed mind, and, and not just any renewed mind, a renewed mind that's being renewed by the Word of God, because the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and changes our thought processes that enables us to live out the faith that God has called us to. I have a deep conviction that when I pray and when you pray, God responds, that God always answers our prayers. It can be yes, it can be no, it can be wait, it's not the right time. There are multiple ways that he can answer the prayers, but I believe that when we pray, especially corporately as a church, all of a sudden God begins to move in miraculous ways. I believe that there, I have a conviction that there is a heaven. It is a real place. It's not a figment of my imagination that, as I said earlier, when I draw my last breath to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Have I ever seen heaven? No. Have I ever been there before? Absolutely not. But my conviction is based on what? The promise that God has given in his word through his son, Jesus Christ, that I am going to go and prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you might be also. And so it's a deep abiding conviction that God saves. I cannot see God save people, but I know that he saves people. And so I have a confidence and I have a conviction about the things that I cannot see. But even though I may not be able to see them physically, they are still just as real as you are sitting here this morning. And so those convictions begin to formulate how I move through life, how I make decisions, and what's important and what is not important. Call it intuition if you wish, but it is convictional. And suddenly you know what you could not have known before, and that is faith. And we all need to grow in our faith because it is the channel by which you not only receive from God, but it is also the channel by which you sense God moving in your midst. You sense God speaking to you and instructing you on what it is he wants you to do and moving you towards his good and perfect and pleasing will. Number three, faith is my commitment to just that, the will of God. Faith, listen, faith needs an object. Everybody exercises faith, whether they're saved or not. You know, I can buy an airplane ticket and step on the airplane and I have faith that that pilot's going to get me from point A to point B. I don't know the guy or gal, but I believe they're going to get me there, right? If I didn't have that much faith, I'd never step, in, step on the plane. People exercise faith every single day of our, their lives. The difference between natural faith and biblical faith is the object of your faith. This is so important because when it comes to the power of faith, it's in the object of our faith, and it's only as valid as our faith. Listen, the Bible never says to put faith in your faith. Jesus said, if you had the faith of a tiny mustard seed, you could speak to this mountain, and it would like vacate off the premises, and that was the tiniest seed in his day and time. So it's not the amount of faith that was important. It was the object in whom I'm putting my faith. 
Now, the reason why this is so, so important is more often than not, we arrive at a conclusion. Let's say, for example, you are facing a mountain in your personal life. It might be a financial mountain. It might be a relational mountain. It could be all kinds of mountains that you face in your, your daily life. And what do we usually do? Well, I, 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 I need the faith to, to get rid of this mountain. I need the faith to plow through this mountain. I need the, the faith to journey through this valley. And man, I, I just wish I had more faith. And you call your friends and say, hey, please pray that God would give me the faith to endure this. Please pray that God would give me the faith to do this, that, and the other. And so we're asking people to, to build up and to boost up our faith. And we measure it and we weigh it and we size it up in every possible way. And then we arrive at the conclusion, I'm just not sure my faith is big enough, and therefore, I need to have more faith. No, you don't. It's not the size of your faith that moves mountains. It is the size of your God that moves mountains. It's God's ability, not your ability, that does anything. That's why Jesus would say of people, you know, their faith, not much faith over here, great faith over here, not much here, everything in between, but it did not keep Jesus from moving miraculously due to the size of their faith. Now, there are people who are faith healers who like to put the burden on you and say, well, the reason why God didn't heal you is because you just didn't have enough faith. That's hogwash. It has nothing to do with it. It is the size of our God, and, the, and it is a portion of God's will. What is God's will in this particular situation? Faith in faith is actually faith in yourself. Your ability to think positively, to maintain a positive attitude. Rather than evaluating a situation on the basis of your faith, I want you to evaluate the situation on the basis of God's ability. That's where you rest your faith. So here's faith. Faith is trusting God with our lives. It's trusting God with our lives. So the secret of faith is really knowing God and growing in that knowledge of Him. Where do we find that? We find that in Scripture. We find it in our day in and day out, you know, examples with, with our walk with God. So faith is the means of not getting man's will done in heaven. It's the means of getting God's will done here on earth, which means you have to accept the will of God as the best thing that can happen. Now remember what Paul said, God uses all things, the good, the bad, and the ugly, May all be incorporated in God's will. In order, you know, he says, those who love God, God's less the good, bad, and the ugly to those who love him, who are called according to his purpose, so that we might be what? Conformed to the image of Christ. And so that God uses all sorts of things in our lives, and we must let the Bible say what it wants to say. We must refuse to manipulate the word of God to say what we want it to say. For example, I believe, you know I believe, God heals. God heals miraculously. God heals medically. Sometimes he incorporates the, the um, miraculous with the medical. Sometimes God heals mysteriously. That is the person, they die. They don't make it. They don't, they're not healed in this lifetime, but they are certainly healed because the Bible says once we enter into the realm of eternity where there is no sin and no sorrow and no death, the the healing is complete and is whole. Now, all of us, all of us would want the miraculous, or all of us would want the medical or the combining of the two. We don't want the death part. But the Bible says it's appointed unto man to die once. We are all going to vacate this world one way or another. The moment God put you into this world, your heel was stamped with an expiration date, and you're not going to miss that appointment. But I believe that when I'm praying for somebody, I believe that God wants to heal them miraculously. Watch this. Unless the Holy Spirit moves me in a different direction. And I've shared this before. I had a deacon in my church in Alabama. His name was Charles Newton. Charles was a, a, a godly man, loved the Lord, shared his faith with anybody who would listen. Even if they didn't want to listen, he shared it with them anyways. And so he, he came down with cancer, and I was... Uh, in school at the time, and I would, I would go for my week-long studies and then come back at the end of the week from time to time, and he's in the hospital, and he's not doing well at all, and I, on my way home, I stop, and I go in and see Charles, and I'm, you know, laying hands on him, and I'm praying for his healing, and, 
And after I finish praying, he says, thank you. And I walk out, that room, out of the room. And as though, as though God was speaking audibly to me, he said to me, I am not going to heal him. This death will be for my glory. Now, that's a weighty message. Because his wife and his daughter are members of the church. And do I share that with the church? Do I tell anybody what God has said to me? Or do I let him have false hope? And so, uh, you know, the Lord just laid on my heart. Her, his wife's name was Frances. I went to her and said, I, this is what God has said to me. I, I don't understand it, but this is what God has said. And so it really caused the whole church to start praying differently. And a long story short is that by the time he died, which was about six months after that, God used his life in such an incredible way. I've never seen so many people come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That man witnessed every doctor, every nurse in that hospital. The day that he died is the day I, was, I walked in there and his daughter met me in the hallway. And I walked into his room and there were nurses and doctors lined all the way around his room. Those whom he had led to faith in Jesus. God was faithful to his promise. So what, why is faith so important? There are three reasons because, one, number one, faith pleases God. Faith pleases God. Notice what he went on to say. This is what the ancients were commended for. Who are the ancients? They were the people who are going to read, we're going to read about in the remainder of this chapter. By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch and Noah and Abraham and so on and so forth. Every single one of these individuals had confidence in God they had deep convictions that, that guarded and, and kind of ruled their lives, and they were all committed to doing the will of God regardless of what the cost was. And some of them paid very dearly. Their circumstances varied. Some of them were living in lands of wickedness. Others lived relatively quiet lives. Some lived very active lives, but they had those three things in common. Even Abraham, you'll notice in verse 8, it says, By faith Abraham, uh, when he was called to go to the place he would later receive as an inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. God didn't lay out the plan. By faith he made, it his, home in, made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder was God. And so here's Abraham. He's, he receives the call of God. And God says, Abraham, I want you, at that time his name is Abram. I want you to pack up. He's coming out of Ur, Chaldea. And he's a wealthy businessman in that city. And he comes out of a pagan land. God calls him says, listen, I, I'm going to establish a covenant with you. It is through your descendants I will bring the Messiah, and I will raise up a nation through whom that Messiah will come. And so he receives this promise from God, and Abram was asked the questions, right? Where are we going? How do I know when we get there? God's saying, listen, you follow me. I know you can't see it right now, but I want you to believe me and trust me and start walking, and then I will show you the way. I'll let you know when we're there and how we're going to get there, and I'll let you know and now, so Abraham, in the midst of this journey, his name is changed to Abraham, which means father of many or father of multitude. And so here's Abraham. It's 25 years before the promise God gave him that he actually has his first son, Isaac, who is the promised son and through whom his descendants will rule and reign. And so for 25 years, every time Abraham introduces himself, He's introducing himself as the father of many, the father of nations. And you can imagine somebody who said, well, how many kids you got? Uh, none. How old are you? Oh, well, now I'm pushing 99. And you know, people just laugh at him. But he's, he held with the promise and he moved forward by faith. And some of you Listen, here's the point of all this is that life, the life of faith is knowing that you have heard the voice of God, whether you're, it's through the red word of God or the spirit of God speaking to you, but you've heard the voice of God and God has said, I want you to start moving forward in this area of your life. Now start walking. But our tendency is to what? But God, you got to lay out the plan. You got to show how it's all going to unfold. 
you got to show me how it's all going to turn out in the end before I ever take the first step. And God says, no, 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 no. It's all about you trusting me, believing me, following my voice, walk with me, do what I've asked you to do. And as you're doing what I've asked you to do, I will unfold everything. You, I will drag every resource from heaven to earth that you need to accomplish my purpose, plan, and will for your life. And so that's what Abraham did. This is what we are called to do. And God's calling everyone in this church to a new level of faith, a new level of confidence in him, a new level of conviction, a new level of commitment to his, his will. And I just, I just believe that, that God wants to do some things, but he's not going to be able to do it until we're willing to walk in faith. Number two, faith gives you insight into how God works. You'll notice what he went on to say in this verse, he says, by faith, verse 3, we understand. You want to understand how God works? You're going to have to walk by faith. It comes by the way of faith. And so when you're walking by faith, and your faith is growing, and God is giving you understanding. In other words, God's going to let you know what he's doing in this place, in your life, and he's going to instruct you where you might intersect your life into the life of somebody else. For example, my wife works with a woman whose husband got a, a new job, wasn't on the job very long, had an accident, almost ripped off two of his fingers, like completely severing them. And so he was taken to the emergency room, and his wife was with him, and they have children, but his wife was with him till very late in the night in the emergency room. She's walking out of the emergency room, and as she's walking out of the emergency room, like after midnight, there's a woman who's coming towards her, and that woman stops and says, are you okay? And as she began to describe what happened to her husband, she says, might I pray for you? And she, she wrapped her arm around her and began praying and interceding on behalf of this woman and her husband. This woman, by the way, and her husband are not believers. But God brought a divine union together that late night. Why? Because that woman became a channel of God so that God might touch somebody's heart and life who had a very unique need at a very unique moment. That's what God wants to do in us and through us as we are staying in tune with the Spirit of God. He goes on to say that the universe was formed by God's command so that what is, watch this, what is seen was not made out of what is visible. The universe understands that there is a visible world and there is an invisible world, both of which were formed at the command of God. This is so important because sometimes we, th we are limited to the physical, right? What we can see, what we can touch, what we can feel, what we can experience, what we you know, experience emotionally. But the Bible says that there are two worlds. Colossians 1.16 says this, For by Christ all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, which is speaking of a demonic world, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, all things were created by him and for him. Now, he didn't create them as demonic. God created, Jesus created angelic beings. They are the ones who decided to rebel in their hearts against God and, and Satan and the, his minions who went along with him. But what the Bible says and explains to us, listen, there is a visible world in which you and I function, but there is an invisible world out here that is just as real as the visible world you and I live in. Here's why this is so important. You go back in the Old Testament to 2 Kings in chapter 6 and the story of Elisha, and Elisha's servant is fixing some breakfast. He looks out the window, and the king's chariots are coming like the warriors, and he goes into panic mode, and he says to Elisha, man, I mean, we are, we are being descended upon. What are we going to do? And so what did Elisha do? He prayed that God would remove the veil from his servant's eyes so that he could see what is in the invisible world. And when he did that, he saw chariots and he saw the, the army of God encamped around them. In other words, they weren't engaging in this battle by themselves. 
God himself was engaging in that warfare. When you and I are journeying through this life and we are confronted with our mountains and we are called upon God to travel through our valleys or maybe up across our mountaintops or whatever it is that God's asking us to do, he never sends us out there alone. God is always moving the angelic realm, the heavenlies drawing resources from heaven down to earth and with the way that we receive those resources is by faith. I am choosing to believe and then I see rather than seeing and then believing. I'll give you an example. Um, a few years back, we in, on a Wednesday night here in our church and somebody, um, we were praying over someone and and, and the demonic began to manifest itself, and so I was praying deliverance over this person, and my wife was here and met several others, and she saw, you know, she's never seen it before, she saw warring angels walking up and down our aisles. They were huge. They were, they were, there were people in our church who, who see readily into the unrealmed scene, and, and uh, so God was moving, and, and God brought about deliverance now. You, you, can, you can believe in that or not if you want to. I'm just telling you, Satan has not taken a hiatus because Jesus went back to heaven, okay? He's very operational in our world, even though he is from the invisible realm. He, he perpetuates himself into the visible realm. And I just want you to know that when you and I are walking in faith and when our faith gets shaky and, and when our faith wants to crumble and when we want to throw in the towel, that we're not walking by ourselves. We have... God says the angels are the ministering angels to those whom he has created. We are not walking this journey alone. And sometimes God will just pull back the veil and enable you to see things that you would otherwise not see. What caused the young man's defeatist attitude? He looked at the visible thinking what he saw with his eyes of flesh was the ultimate reality and the final word. What cured him were the eyes of faith to look into the from the visible into the invisible and realize that the ultimate reality is not what is seen. The ultimate reality is what is unseen. That's why I say prayer is such an incredible, incredible thing. How do you enter into the invisible realm? It's kind of like, you know, faith. It's like the, a, a sixth sense. It's you, you are now, as 11.1 says, being certain of what? Of what we do not see close out um, with an example here. We'll wrap our way through here. You remember in John chapter 20, when Jesus, after Jesus resurrected, he, he appeared to his disciples. But who was absent? Thomas. And so Jesus then leaves, and Thomas shows up, and the disciples, man, they're all excited and pumped about the fact that, man, we saw Jesus. He's resurrected, Thomas. I'm telling you, he's alive. And Thomas said those famous words, and thus I can put my fingers into the nail prints unless I can take my hand and shove it up his side where the sword pierced him I will not believe unless I see him well he got his wish eight days later Jesus shows back up and there's Thomas and you imagine the other disciples they're like all through it's like a, a western like they're all throwing themselves behind the tables like you know oh Jesus Thomas is in trouble Jesus is here and so Thomas Jesus looks at Thomas, and he knows what Thomas is thinking. He knows what he's feeling. And he says, Jesus said to Thomas, hey, Thomas, come over here. Feel the nail prints. Put your hand in my side. And so he did. You remember what Thomas's response was? My Lord and my God. He had to see before he could believe. And Jesus responded to Thomas's declaration of faith by saying, Blessed are they who did not see, and yet they believed. That's what God is saying to us. If you have to always see it before you believe it, you're going to miss out a lot. Because faith is believing, and then all of a sudden we begin to see. And I think that's what Peter had in mind when he wrote in his, uh, his epistle, referring to that event years later, and though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not see him now but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible 
and full of glory. Number three, faith is what draws resources from heaven to earth. This is what Jesus says. Let's pray, our Father, our, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How does God get his will done on earth? Through us. We're, we're the channels, and it's faith that brings to us what it is God is resourcing us in order to fulfill his will. So how does my faith grow? Three things real quick. Number one is you've got to exercise the faith you have, right? If you're reading the Bible, which you should be, and God's stated will is in the Bible all over the place, you ought to be doing what God has asked you to do. And every time you do that, you're exercising your faith. And faith is like a muscle. The more you exercise it, the stronger it grows. That's why James 2.17 says, listen, you can say you have faith, but if your faith is not connected to works, it is dead. It's useless. It's void. Now, James isn't talking about salvation. He's talking about the fruit of salvation, not the root of it. Paul talked about the root of it in Romans. James says, listen, the evidence that we have saving faith is that it is active. It is doing. It is following the will of God. It's seeking to follow the will of God. And every time I do that, my faith gets strengthened like a muscle. Number two, it's by examining God's word. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. That word, word, is the word rima. There's two Greek words for word, logos, which would refer to the Bible, the word of God. And rima is a message or the voice of God. And so what the scripture is saying is that when I dive into the word of God, all of a sudden God may give you a, a word, a message that enables you to sense God's in the moment, and what it is he's asking you to do. So, when example, when I was sitting in the hospital and I'd had my first surgery and it was discovered that I had cancer, my wife was sitting next to me and it's like God just downloaded in her and said, I want you to call James Center. We're going to James Center. That's where we're going. She called them. And then normally they said, well, you know, we've got to have the test results. We've got to have this, that, and the other. But we're going to go ahead and, and, and slot you in there uh, we can pull up some of the, you know, reports that were, uh, you know, from the, from the um, Mount Carmel, which is where I was at the time. And long story short is that God got us into the James, hooked us up with an incredible oncology team, medical oncology and a surgical oncology team. And, and God, you know, ultimately ended up bringing about my healing through that whole process why? Because my, my wife was so in tune with the Spirit at this moment, and she responded, listen, we often ask God to fit himself into our schedule. One of the reasons people say, well, I don't hear God speaking to me. Well, probably it's because either you are too distracted or you just won't wait. Let me make a statement. God is never in a hurry, but he's always on time. Never in a hurry, but he's always on time. And so God will speak if you will listen, and he'll give it to you at the right moment and the right time. Number three, by experiencing God's faithfulness. And here it is. Our, when our faith intersects God's faithfulness, our faith always grows. All right? When my obedience intersects with God's faithfulness, my faith will always grow. And we're going to see this all through the remainder of this chapter that to be true. And so God is the one who enables us to have the faith that is required for that given moment. He will never demand of you more than he has provided. So again, everything God has done for you and I is absolute, but it must be appropriated. And the way we do that is by exercising faith. Let's pray together.